0: Welcome. All right, uh, let me have uh, appearances in the. And uh, Mr. Jarro, you can have. To, is it Jarro?
1: Your Honor, I say that it's Jarro, as in thorough.
0: <laughs> yes. All right, Mr. Jarreau, uh Good, good morning, uh, and let me have other appearances.
2: Good morning, Your Honor. Jordan Chavez, with Kings and Boone, on behalf of the debtors.
0: All right. Anyone else entering an appearance? Good morning, Your Honor. Mark Renzi, CRO for the debtors. Good good morning, Mr. Renzi. Okay. So, uh, we've had briefing, extensive briefing, uh, which I've read through. Uh, I I welcome uh, oral argument to supplement uh, the briefing. the burden here is a shifting burden. Uh, we all know that once the proof of claim is allowed, it's prima facie valid until there's been opposition raised. then ultimately, Mr. Giroux, the burden rests with you. Let, let me hear from uh, uh, the debtors. Op- it's the debtors' objection uh, initially. So we'll start with the debtor, and then I'll give Mr. Giroux, you a full opportunity. Thank you, Your Honor.
2: Thanks. Again, Jordan Chavez on behalf of the debtors. I'm addressing the debtor's fourth omnibus objection filed to the claims, uh, by the claims filed by Mr. Giroux at docket number 1069, which were followed by his response and cross-motion at docket number 1192, and the debtor's reply at docket 1341. Uh, as Your Honor has noted, the debtors view it as appropriate to take up the objection first as the first filed pleading and because it obviates the need to address the cross-motion. I know your honor has read all of the papers and is fully aware of the litigious history between BlockFi and Mr. Giroux. His claims are rather convoluted, but as we've outlined in our papers, the path to disallowance for these claims is straightforward. There's no tribal issues of fact here. And the only dispute is whether, despite the clear terms of the loan agreement, Mr. Giroux is entitled to a claim for 426 Bitcoin against by. And the answer to that question is a resounding no as a matter of law. These matters can be decided on the papers, and I'd like to move for admission of the debtor's exhibits and then just take a few moments to summarize why these claims should be disallowed. Your Honor, I'd like to move for admission of the debtor's exhibit A, which was attached to the claim objection and is the Renzi certification, as well as debtor's exhibits A through E that were attached to the reply, which is the loan agreement, the email communications between the parties, the Washburn declaration, the Owen declaration, and the Giroux 3 notice of ruling.
0: All right, Uh, Mr. Giroux, I haven't seen any issues taken with exhibits on either side uh, that have been presented, so I'm inclined to uh, admit uh, them all. Uh, Any objection on your end?
1: Your Honor, uh, I think as long as it's mutual, I will not make any evidentiary objections. Uh, I'd like if if that's okay with uh, uh, on the other side as well.
0: All right. Well, I I, I don't see why it shouldn't be mutual. Uh, The exhibits, uh, the courts had the opportunity to review it as a practical matter, uh, and uh, they informed the court on the issue. So we'll we'll admit the, the exhibits. Uh, on both, you, Your both, both the move and the respondent. Uh, was there someone else who wanted to be heard? I'm sorry, I interrupted.
2: Oh no, I interrupted, sorry, Your Honor. Thank you, and for the record, we do not object to Mr. Giroux's exhibits either. So for the reasons that this claim should be disallowed, first and foremost, Mr. Giroux is not a creditor of BlockFi. Mr. Giroux is an attorney with a prepetition loan with BlockFi lending in which he borrowed $2.27 million and pledged approximately 441 Bitcoin as collateral. The loan agreement contains a clear loan-to-value ratio requirement of 70%. That ratio rose above 70%. BlockFi issued a margin call, as it's entitled to do under the terms of the agreement, and Mr. Giroux failed to meet that margin call. Then the ratio rose above 80%, and BlockFi immediately liquidated the collateral, which the loan agreement authorizes it to do. It liquidated 399 Bitcoin to bring the loan back into compliance. The emails between the two parties, which Your Honor just admitted, really say it all. They indicate that Jerome knew about this requirement. He understood the terms of the agreement. He thanks BlockFi for keeping him updated about the liquidations. He inquired about some options to potentially reverse the liquidation but nothing was ever agreed to between the parties. He instructs BlockFi to liquidate any additional necessary collateral to pay off the remainder of his loan and then return the excess to him, which BlockFi promptly did in March of 2020. Giro then withdrew the remainder of the Bitcoin, which was approximately 15 Bitcoin from the platform, which is why as of the petition date, he was not a creditor of BlockFi. Then 30 days later, once the market swung in his favor, he attempted to try and bind by in the emails to some agreement that it never made to reverse or reinstate the loan. by acted fully within its rights to liquidate the collateral. There was never a loan modification or other writing signed by the parties, which is what the loan agreement requires to effectuate any type of modification, reversal, or reinstatement. This is why Mr. Giroux, conjured up the various arguments he did in his pre-petition state court litigation, and then reasserted those in his proofs of claim. Your Honor, these are red herrings to attempt to divert first the state court and now this court from the reality that Giroux has no claim against block by, and the debtors would respectfully request that your Honor disallow these claims in their entirety.
0: All right. Is that it at this point on, on your end?
2: Yes, Your Honor, I'd seat the podium to Mr. Jarreau for his position.
0: Thank you. Mr. Jarreau? Good morning, Your Honor. Good morning. Mr.
1: self-represented creditor, attorney in practicing in the law of California, and uh, I practice law with my father over here. We have a, a little real estate practice, uh, just him and I. Uh, your honor I, I have a presentation prepared but i want to prioritize your questions so please feel free at any time to ask questions and and i don't need to read any of the prepared remarks if if you just want to address your questions we could do that if you'd like
0: no uh, i never hesitate uh in asking questions uh i'd rather hear from you uh and uh be able to uh uh listen and glean if there's any uh, issues that I've missed. So uh, feel yeah. free, and the presentation is fine. Sure,
1: absolutely, Your Honor. Is it possible if I would share my screen to show the documents?
0: Uh, let me ask those who know far better than I how to do it. Yes, you should be able to. You should be able to do it now. Oh, great. Thank you. mm mm-hmm.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, I was informed by my Zoom software that it would require relaunching the Zoom. So I will not. I will, uh, for convenience of the court and the parties, I will not relaunch the Zoom. Instead, I would rather uh, proceed, perhaps with, with um, uh, an oral. I'll, I'll make primarily an oral presentation if that's fine. That's fine. And okay, very good. When BlockFi was applying for its California Finance Lender License, BlockFi was informed multiple times in writing that it cannot, under California Financial Code Section 22009, retain possession of Bitcoin securing its loans. If the, does the, does your honor have the exhibits, um, available in, in front? Yes, uh, I do. Right?
0: You could just. Oh.
1: Great. Cite, do you have want tab number? Sure, tab number. Tab number 14. All right. The, and for everyone's reference, this is these uh, certification of George J. Giroux, which attaches the proof of claim as exhibit, uh, A, I believe, or exhibit one. And this is attachment 14 to the proof of claim. This is a copy of BlockFi's finance lender license. The license states in part that pursuant to the California financing law, that BlockFi may engage in the business of finance lender as defined in said law. That is a uh, incorporation by reference of the next page in tab 14, which is Financial Code Section 22009. This statute defines the business of a finance lender, and in relevant part, it states a finance lender includes any person engaged in the business of making consumer loans or making commercial loans. The business of making commercial loans or commercial loans may include lending money and taking, in the name of the lender or in any other name, in whole or in part, a security for a loan any contract or obligation involving the forfeiture of rights in or to personal property, comma, the use and possession of which property is retained by other than the mortgagee or lender etc that language of exclusion use and possession of which property is retained by other than the mortgagee or lender that language is not mere surplusage. That language, language of exclusion, conditions and limits the general grant of authority, which is made with the word may, which is permissive, but the phrase other than is not permissive. The phrase other than construed in the statute as a whole only can arrive at one reasonable construction, which is that a lender may either have a security interest in personal property or use and possession, use or possession, excuse me, of personal property. It cannot have both at the same time. The finance lender cannot have a security interest and use or possession of the property. Of course, Bitcoin constitutes personal property. I I don't think there's any dispute about that. It's certainly not real property, and it certainly is property. Now, BlockFi was informed of this prohibition, and I will refer the court to tab number six, please. And uh, for everyone's reference, each tab refers to an attachment to the proof of claim. So this would be attachment number uh, six. On the third page of this tab, which has a Bates number of 24, the second sentence that's typewritten in this application, it says, in accordance with California Financial Code section 2209, which is a typo, they meant to say 22009, BlockFi will take in the name of the lender, in part, a security for the loan possession of each borrower's assets. That is an incorrect interpretation of the law because the lender is not allowed to take possession of the borrower's assets. The lender is allowed to take a security interest in personal property, which the lender does not use or possess. Now, this could have been an innocent misunderstanding, but after two admonitions from the Department of Business Oversight, which is now known as the California Department of Financial Protection and Innovation, the the admonitions are – are present uh, in tab 7. That's a letter dated March 28th. At the bottom, the last paragraph on the first page of that tab, the collateral must remain with the borrower. Your response indicated uh, the, here the department quotes block BlockFi, and the next page on the top of the page, it says, uh, this date stamps 27. This is not allowed under the California Financing Law, CFL for short. The collateral must remain with the borrower. Moreover, the applicant cannot hold the borrower's digital assets as collateral. Based upon the business plan and explanation provided, the applicant is conducting or will be conducting activities not authorized by the California financing law. That was the second admonition. The third admonition was in tab 8, which is a letter dated April 6th, which once again uh, contains a substantially similar Admonition at the bottom of the first page. This handwritten "no" on the le- on the left margin. That's the way I received the documents uh, directly from the Department of uh, Business Oversight. Perhaps the uh, the the person at the department indicated that this requirement was not fulfilled. Tab. Number nine, if your honor is so inclined, because I am i know I'm moving a little quickly, but I want to get to the most shocking exhibits. This is a letter dated April 10th, which once again has a, a similar admonition that BlockFi cannot possess collateral securing its loans. And here in the last paragraph, the department sets forth California Section 22009, in its entirety. Then, on the next paragraph, the department says your email, referring to BlockFi's email, dated April 10th, uh, 2018, indicates reference to a different law, which was the Uniform Commercial Code, as we will see in the next attachment, and not the California Financial Code. Quote, I do understand your confusion, however, We have obtained legal counsel, and the laws of the California Commercial Code do not apply or trump the laws under the California Financial Code. Therefore, the business plan and method of operation are not allowed under the California Financing Law. The collateral must remain with the borrower. Applicant cannot hold the borrower's digital assets as collateral. Based on the business plan provided, it's not allowed. Let's, in fact, see that email dated April 10th and find out what was said. And that is an attachment 10. Oh, uh, attachment 10, yes, attachment 10. Uh, Attachment 10 is actually an email chain. So the first email here, well, let's actually go sequentially here. Let's go to the third, I'm sorry, the fourth page. The fourth page or the fifth page under under attachment 10. I will paraphrase. Essentially, what has happened was that on on April 10th, 2018, an attorney for BlockFi working on behalf of uh, Munat Phelps, a law firm uh, in California, perhaps they are also present on the East Coast, was uh, attempting to explain why he believes that The language that we saw earlier, which we, which I posit is not mere surplusage because we must give effect to every clause and every word if possible. That he claims that that language is a vestige. That's a quote, a vestige of the law, meaning that he's essentially arguing that the legislature should have or intended to repeal the language and that it should be ignored, essentially. There is a reference made to the Uniform Commercial Code's provisions that allow a secured party to secure uh, or to perfect their security interest in collateral by taking possession of the collateral. However, that code section, which is Uniform Commercial Code section 9-313 Under Official Comment 7, that code section says that it does not create a right to take possession. Furthermore, the Uniform Commercial Code has an express reverse preemption provision. And why do I call it a reverse preemption provision? It expressly states that it does not authorize or validate any provision that violates another substantive law. And here the substantive law is a statutory law now if i could refer this court to the first page of exhibit 10 tab 10 i'm sorry attachment 10 i meant to say after that the letter that we saw from uh, april 10th BlockFi sends an email on april 11th and it's it, in the introduction it says the phone call we had yesterday was extremely useful so after the letter, or on the same day as the April 10th letter, there was a phone call. Then in the paragraph entitled updated business plan with an un- with an underscore underneath it, BlockFi says that now it has revised its business plan. And as part of their underwriting, they will prescribe value. This is the second paragraph under updated business plan. Um, um uh, Bates Stamp, page 35. And um, the under the updated business plan subheading, it, the second paragraph, it says, BlockFi lending will make one-year loans. I'm going to skip over some language here. As part of our underwriting, we will prescribe value to commercial and consumer applicants holdings of cryptocurrencies which they possess. In other words... BlockFi has now updated its application to say that the borrower will possess the digital assets securing the loan. They were admonished that they cannot retain use and possession. They sent an email, they had a phone call, they updated their business plan in writing. This was the last update of their business plan that I have seen and Although I did not receive these documents from BlockFi because BlockFi would not provide me with these documents, BlockFi has admitted in other pleadings that these are genuine. They are directly from the Department of Business Oversight, and this was the last written update to the application. I will move now to attachment 11, tab 11. This is a request for interpretive opinion. The, uh, the, right, the commissioner of the district has authority to issue specific rulings in writing, and there's a code, uh, a regulatory section that that defines that authority. It's for this court's reference. You don't need to look into this. It's a, a Title 10 of the California Code of Regulation section 250.12 subregulation A, and in part this regulation states that a request for an interpretive opinion shall be made in writing. It shall fully set forth the questions presented in the particular facts and circumstances upon which the opinion is requested. Each interpretive opinion Determination or specific ruling is applicable only to the transaction identified in the request, therefore, and may not be relied upon in connection with any other transaction. Moving to the request for interpretive opinion. In this request, attorney Charles Washburn on behalf of, Man- of Manat, Phelps and Phillips LLP, sets forth uh, the same argument that was set forth in his email that we saw a few moments ago, which essentially states this language is does not prevent us from taking possession of collateral. He uh, admits that BlockFi is going to be possessing the collateral, or, or in this interpretive opinion, he says that his client would like to take possession of the collateral. And the part that I would like the court to see is is on page eight stamp. Um, pardon me one moment. I apologize because I had highlighted the uh, electronic version. I was planning on presenting it on the screen for all of us. Okay, date Stamp page 44. This is the second full paragraph. It starts where uh, the, with the words in a letter. Okay, here the attorney for BlockFi is acknowledging actual receipt of that letter dated April 10th, which had the strongest admonition in the series of letters. And he goes on to acknowledge other admonitions that we did not see in the record. For example, on the second... Full sentence starting with other communications from department representatives to BlockFi have similarly stated that a finance lender may quote never hold the assets of California borrowers it makes loan to under the California finance lender license, end quote. Quote, assets collateral may not be held by BlockFi or any other third party, end quote. Quote, the collateral uh, that word is eligible, has to remain with the borrower. And The California Finance Lending License does not permit you to take possession of the collateral. The reason why this is important is because the attorney for BlockFi is acknowledging actual notice of this prohibition. It's an implied prohibition, but a prohibition nonetheless, okay? Now, was the department perfectly correct? Well, the statute is our guidepost because what the department says is not necessarily what this court must accept. This court should uh, independently construe the statute. However, upon the independent construction of the statute, if this court finds that BlockFi's interpretation of the statute is unreasonable, then under an authority cited in the briefs, safe coinsurance that a, it does not matter what the subjective intent of the party was. And that's very common under these willful provisions uh, imposing civil liability that an objectively unreasonable construction of a statute means that there was a willful violation of that statute. Here, of course, we have actual notice of the prohibition. And I think that it's pretty clear that this this was... Um, Uh, This was addressed by the executives. Something I I should have pointed out in the emails was that uh, the founders and chief executive, Zach Prince and Flory Marquez were copied on the email from Washburn to the department and that Flory copied, uh, uh, Flory Marquez sent the email to the department updating the business plan. So this was something that the executives knew about. Flory Marquez, which by the way, I, I, there's absolutely nothing personal about this case. If you ask my opinion, I think that these were just they were just trying to do this business uniformly throughout the states. And they wanted to they didn't want to make a, a whole change to their business model uh, just for California. But under California law, this, the legislature in California has said that this business model was not allowed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Let's flip now to Attachment 13.
0: Let me just stop yes, you. Yes, please, go ahead. I, I certainly hope yes. we're not intending to go through all 31 of them. Absolutely, uh, Your Honor. Uh, yes. So uh, that's my gentle nudge to to that you go to the heart of the arguments. Because I, I, I've read your papers, and I understand all of what you, you're, you're submitting. Absolutely.
1: And I will, in fact, according to my notes, I only have uh, – Two more attachments that I'm going to discuss, and then I'm going to focus on the reply. I will, That's I will try fine. to make it very concise. That's Thank fine. you, Your Honor. You. Okay. At the end of the request for interpretive opinion that we were just looking at, uh, Washburn says that if the department reaches a preliminary conclusion that BlockFi cannot retain possession of collateral, that he be permitted to withdraw the request for interpretive opinion. And attachment 13 shows that according to the Department of Business Oversight, that no interpretive opinion was ever issued and that Washburn did withdraw the interpretive, the request for interpretive opinion. Okay, now let's jump to the the dispute here. Washburn's declaration says that he received a phone call from the department, and they told him they said, "We agree with you, but we're not going to issue anything in writing. We're just going to issue your license." Okay. I think that's the law does provide a safe harbor for a lender that relies upon a general rule, regulation, or specific ruling of the commissioner. And that's financial code, California financial code, section 22754. 22754. And it states in relevant part that, quote, any act done or or omitted in good faith in conformity with any written general rule, regulation, or specific ruling of the commissioner, end quote, shall not subject the the finance lender to liability. That has a three-element test embedded in it. Number one is that there must be a general rule, regulation, or specific ruling of the commissioner, which is the product of a quasi-legislative or quasi-judicial process, In this case, it's undisputed that there was no quasi-legislative or quasi-judicial outcome, or no final product of that process, and furthermore, that there was no writing that authorized the use and possession of collateral. Number two, BlockFi must act in conformity with the ruling, and as we saw earlier, the license incorporates Section 22009, meaning that BlockFi did not act in conformity with its license. And number three, the acts must be done uh, in good faith. And I would posit that an act that is based upon an unreasonable construction of the statute is not an act in good faith by as a matter of law. Okay. Let's discuss the declaration of Jan Lynn Owen, who... Impressively, was actually the commissioner at the time that that uh, BlockFi applied for its license. This declaration was made by her in 2021 while she was working for the same law firm that represented BlockFi in its application to the to the Department of, of Business Oversight, Manette, Phelps and Phillips LLP. She works for the same law firm that Washburn works for, and. She did not make the declaration in any official capacity. She admitted that she had no personal knowledge of the block by application. And she says, as a matter of her personal opinion, she says that this is common in commerce and that that I'm that mister Doreau was incorrect in his reading of the law. Okay. Now I will tell you that according to the Horn book, which I've which I've referenced, and of course I I always have citations, but I'm I'm going to uh, omit the citation here. The Horn book says that actually, uh, commercial transactions where the lender takes actual possession of the collateral is actually a a uh, a small minority of all commercial transactions. Most of the time, when we think about a margin loan, it's when a A bank, financial institution, or securities dealer is using, uh, and by the way, those are all independent authorizations and BlockFi is not, does not qualify as any of those authorizations. It's undisputed that my loan was made solely pursuant to the California financing law. And those provisions, uh, those are highly regulated transactions. They are done with less volatile instruments. There are, uh, Uh, lots of oversight measures, lots of regulators, lots of statutory provisions that protect in that situation. The California financing law does not have any provisions dealing with a lender's possession of collateral. The pawnbroker law does. And the pawnbroker law states that uh, under, under California law, this is actually California financial code section 21000 defines a pawnbroker as a lender receiving goods to secure a loan. And BlockFi argued in its reply that the test for a good is whether something is movable, and I agree. I I just believe that Bitcoin is movable. The reason why I brought up the pawnbroker law is because the, the statutory structure is also important to keep in mind when construing the independent statutes. The California pawnbroker law has provisions that protect the borrowers. It has a statutory right of redemption for the entire loan term. The loan can therefore not be accelerated. The collateral cannot be sold before the expiration of the loan term. The California financing law has none of those safeguards. It was not intended to uh, govern or protect a borrower in the situation where they are giving their possession to the collateral. Now, uh, does the court have any questions, or can I, I I will, if uh, at this time, or I could breeze through the rest of the presentation if you would like.
0: Why don't you breeze through the rest, and then if I have questions, I will ask.
1: Thank you, thank you so much, Your Honor. The declaration of Jamlin Owen does not qualify for the safe harbor under the California financing law because it was uh it was a writing that was not a a general rule, regulation or specific ruling of the commissioner, and it was issued after the foreclosures, and therefore BlockFi could not have conformed in good faith to the writing, meaning that for there to be a writing that is sufficient that BlockFi would, could conform with, that uh, it would have to be prospective conformity, not retrospective conformity. I assume that there's no writing, because BlockFi would have produced it if they if they had a writing. Notably absent from the record is that the D- the Department of Business Oversight has never issued a writing. To, well, I've not seen one. I've not seen any writings that would justify this pro- uh, this this uh, deviation from the statute. Mm -hmm. I'd like to also point out that the reply does not dispute that BlockFi took possession of the Bitcoin. They do not dispute that BlockFi charged an unlawful amount by retaining the proceeds from the Bitcoin. The proceeds from the Bitcoin, which would have been known to the common law as the use of the Bitcoin, the use belongs to the borrower under the Uniform Commercial Code, section 9-207, subsection C.
0: Well, let me stop you there. Doesn't 9-207 have the exception uh, provided that if you contract otherwise? And that, that section has an exception for consumer goods. So you'd have to establish that it's a good and that's a consumer good. Uh, I saw in your memorandum only one reference to a case that referred to digital assets as a, as a good. Uh, you referenced electricity cases, which are all over the place. For There's a half, probably a dozen on each side of the argument as to whether electricity is a good. But uh, certainly under the Uniform Commercial Code, uh, goods exclude investment property, which are securities, certificated or otherwise. Uh, and uh, there are more cases and w- that have argued that uh, cryptocurrency are uh, securities. There are cases that have argued uh, and take the position that they are general intangibles, and including payment intangibles. But other than the one case you cited, Are there any other cases that suggest that they are a good, let alone a consumer good?
1: May I address those, uh, those questions in order? Yes. Uh, At first, Your Honor, you mentioned 9-207 can be contractually waived. That is true. Here there was no contractual waiver. The loan does not allow BlockFi to lease the Bitcoin. It does not allow BlockFi to retain the proceeds from the Bitcoin. It does not allow BlockFi to charge the proceeds from the bitcoin it does not disclose that there will be a charge of the proceeds from the bitcoin which should be disclosed it must be disclosed under the truth and lending act and if it cannot be known with certainty it must be estimated okay so i would like to make very clear that that the rule under section 9-207 is the operative rule that we are playing with and regarding bitcoin's categorization under the uniform commercial code that is Um it's an interesting question. It's potentially relevant to the pawnbroker issue. It does not bear at all under the financing law. The financing laws we saw makes reference to personal property, and we know that Bitcoin is personal property. Now, whether or not Bitcoin is a good for purposes of the pawnbroker law, that's an interesting question. And the reason why is that we know Bitcoin is not a service. We know it's not a security. We know that it's something that can be actually possessed. It can be actually received. And the pawnbroker laws are in – if we say that Bitcoin is not a good, then it's – it. you see, the way that a good is defined is it's defined almost as a chosen possession. It's something well, that could be actually again, possessed. Again, let me Go stop ahead. you
0: because it's yeah. isn't it more than just being a good? Doesn't California's uh, regulation or statute – uh, and I'll refer to the business and professionals code, BPC 21627. Doesn't it have to be a tangible good? Tangible personal property. Uh, let me just back up because when I look through this, uh, BPC 21626, uh, defines sec and refers to secondhand dealers. And it refers to those. In whose business includes buying, selling, trading, taking in pawn, and accepting for sale or consignment, tangible personal property. So a secondhand dealer includes all pawnbrokers, but pawnbrokers aren't all secondhand. Uh, all pawnbrokers are secondhand dealers, but not all secondhand dealers are pawnbrokers. But for secondhand dealers, it has to be tangible personal, pro- personal property. How is how is digital currency tangible?
1: I love that question because it shows how learned that, that your honor is. It's really a, a good question because it's a secondhand dealer is very related to a pawnbroker. It's not a secondhand dealer is not necessarily a pawnbroker. And as pointed out in the memorandum, no, but a
0: pawnbroker is necessarily a secondhand dealer.
1: Uh, I'm, I'm not so sure about that, your honor. The pawnbroker is statutorily defined and it has a separate statutory definition to a, a secondhand dealer.
0: Well, I, I'm I, and I'm. In fairness to you, I'm reading this from the secondhand dealer pawnbroker licensing unit, frequently asked questions, uh, put out by the Office of the Attorney General for the California Department of Justice. And a pawnbroker is also a secondhand dealer, but a secondhand dealer is not a pawnbroker. Uh, so, and if you read, and according to the definition, it includes pawnbrokers. So mm-hmm. we go back to, is there a need for it to be tangible as a pawnbroker? Oh. We have moved on beyond the UCC. And sure. we move beyond the financing law. Let's just sure. focus now for the last bit on the, the pawnbroker element.
1: Yes. And, and, and also if we can, before, before we conclude, I'd like to also discuss the contract just a little, the, the contractual redemption just a little bit. Uh, your honor, uh, California financial code section 21000 at sequitur. That contains all of the provisions that have to do with licensing a pawnbroker, defining a pawnbroker, and regulating a pawnbroker. The Business and Professions Code does uh, regulate secondhand dealers, but it does not set forth the licensing provisions. And and I don't believe it's incorporated by reference. I've done extensive research on the statutory construction and, and legislative history. Your Honor is correct that. Goods are sometimes defined as intangible by the legislature, and a good example of that is on the Memorandum of Law, which unfortunately came after all of the uh, attachments, but Your Honor has obviously read it because I think you referenced it earlier during this oral argument, that in footnote 7, I there are citations to California statutes that define a good as being tangible, but there are also Sections that define goods without reference to tangibility, and the pawnbroker law defines good. Uh, I'm sorry, it does not define good. It does not say tangible. If the legislature wanted to limit it to tangible, uh, tangible personal property, they could have, as your honor just showed with the business and professions code. The legislature is more than capable. Of defining uh, a good with reference to tangibility. And the the legislature does say tangible personal property in many different statutory sections. I've checked five different uh, uh, dictionaries and only one of those five dictionaries had a reference to tangibility. Uh, I believe even, I I don't have the definition in front of me, but I even believe that... um, the, the reason why I'm citing these old cases is because the language the word goods this is actually a statutory language that's been carried on since since england this this statute goods was imported from England and that's why I'm citing to laws under the com uh, uh, I'm citing to the common law, which I think we may assume the common law definition of a good is what uh is what the legislature intended without further modification so i I know your honor is uh, I, the pawnbroker law is maybe not the strongest argument in your honor's opinion, and I respect that and I understand that. But may I talk about the contractual right of redemption? That is that. Yes. Can we move on, or but okay?
0: I, let's move on to that, and then I'd like to hear from debtors' counsel.
1: Absolutely, your honor. Thank you. I appreciate that. The uh, soon after, very soon after the liquidations, BlockFi and I are communicating. And I say, can I take out a, uh, a an, an unsecured loan to buy back the Bitcoin? And BlockFi says, no, we can't do that. We can only reverse the liquidations if you come up with enough money. This was within days of the liquidation. Now, I have to. This is an important note. The standard of review, uh, the the burden of persuasion, as your honor discussed earlier, the underlying burden of persuasion on the on compliance with the Uniform Commercial Code, chap, uh, Article Nine, Chapter Six, that burden of persuasion is on BlockFi under California law, and BlockFi has not produced any evidence that the sales actually occurred. Has not produced any evidence that the that the liquidations were commercially reasonable. It it's I'm for all we know they accepted the Bitcoin. In partial satisfaction of the loan, which is void under, uh, in a commercial transaction. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, not a commercial transaction. In a consumer transaction, yes, that's right. And why is this important? It's important because I don't have access to that information. BlockFi should have produced it in its objection. It should have produced it in its reply. For all we know, there's there's no way of knowing that these that these liquidations actually occurred. So when I was approached afterwards asking to give more money or Bitcoin to reverse the liquidations, we engaged in negotiations. And during the negotiations, I mentioned that I was, I was interested in reinstating the loan at a price of $7,500 per Bitcoin. The ultimate price of Bitcoin at the time of the acceptance of the offer was $7,700. And during that time, I informed BlockFi that I was engaged in the due diligence phase with a with another lender, and within uh, about a month thereafter, I accepted the offer. And obviously, one month is a reasonable amount of time to engage in a due diligence phase with a lender. BlockFi provided the formula for reinstating the loan. I accepted the offer in accordance with the formula. At, and soon after that, BlockFi said that they were not going to honor the contract to reinstate the loan. And as a result, that's when the litigation ensued. The price of Bitcoin was not a factor in, in in this other than how it affected the formula for reinstating the loan. But more importantly, I think that there's something not right about about the, the offer to reverse the loan. And it, it wasn't a modification of the loan contract. It was a new contract. It was a it was a written modification, and it was signed. It had an email signature, which is sufficient in our day and age. An email signature—people do not have to transact business through facsimile anymore. And there was an offer and an acceptance to reinstate the loan, although the amount of the proof of claim is prima facie valid. If this court is inclined to specifically, uh, specifically. Perf- uh, enforce that contract to reinstate the loan. I think that that's what everybody agreed to at that time. And uh, the court would be justified in overruling the objection to the proof of claim. We have not seen enough evidence to, to negate the prima facie validity and amount of the proof of claim. I think that it was very clear that there was actual notice of the provisions of the law, There's only one reasonable construction of financial code section 22009. And uh, if there is another, if there's another reasonable construction, I'd like to hear it because the way that I read the law, and I, I imagine that your honor would read the law as well. It's, it cannot be changed unilaterally by any party to this litigation. It was enacted many years ago. And that's, that's what I request is that this court overrule the objection and enforce the California financing law. And the, the California, uh, this was not a, only a violation of the, the statutory definition, but a violation of the license, which incorporates the statutory definition by reference. Any questions before I check my notes uh, in, in a scramble to see if I've missed anything?
0: <laughs> no, not at this junk. Well, let me ask this uh, uh-huh. with respect to whether or not a modified loan offer was made and accepted, Mm -hmm. Um, there were no steps afterwards. In other words, did you put up collateral? Did you follow through? Did either side follow through on the obligations that would have been uh, required under uh, reinstating or issuing a new loan? Yes,
1: Your Honor. I tendered the Bitcoin, and a tender is what's required uh, I did not have a Bitcoin address to send it to. BlockFi would not provide a Bitcoin address to send it to. Um, that's that is the, the state of affairs.
0: By tender, you mean what oh, specifically yeah. did you do?
1: Oh, great question. Uh, can I refer to that email for the sports reference yes. here? Okay. Yeah. Attachment sixteen. Bait stamp, page 89, this page, uh, the top email is the one that says I'm in the due diligence phase with the traditional source of of capital. That was uh, May 1st, 2020. The next email, uh, BlockFi says that's great news. Here's the formula to reinstate your loan. Here's an example. The payment would bring the principal balance. That's under his example. Then the next email. Oh, uh, by the way, that that email with the formula was from March 24th, 2020. I apologize. I read the, I read the date on the top of, on the header of the page, but that was the date that this was printed. That was not the date of the email. The date with the, with the formula was from March 24th, 2020. Then April 27th, 2020, I accepted the offer. I provided the formula. I calculated the amount of pay down. And I said, I will send the Bitcoin today. Please confirm BlockFi's Bitcoin address. That's a, a tender of performance.
0: So we're addressing the email of May 24th and your response of April 27th.
1: Correct, Your Honor.
0: All right. Thank you. Let me hear Ms. Chavez. Thank you, Mr. Duro. Thank you, Your Honor.
2: Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Duro has indicated that his exhibit should be considered shocking, but nothing about this case or the claims or the exhibits should be shocking, Your Honor. Mr. Duro is not shocked by the terms of the private written loan agreement between the parties, or BlockFi's exercise of its rights under that agreement. Nor did he appear shocked in the emails by the liquidation notices from Block 5. And again, I would emphasize that this was a private agreement between sophisticated parties and Giroux is not charged with enforcing the laws of California or any other state. And as the evidence clearly indicates for the license itself, everything Mr. Giroux is relying upon were pre-licensing discussions but the evidence in the Washburn Declaration, the Owen Declaration, and Judge Strobel's ruling in Juro three, clarify that the license was in fact issued to BlockFi on August 20th, 2018. The department advised that it agreed with BlockFi's analysis of the California lending law, including section twenty two two zero zero nine. They made no request for BlockFi to change their business plans, and they did decline to issue a formal interpretive opinion because they already issued the license and the license was their indication of approval of BlockFi to act as a lender. In the Juro III ruling, Your Honor, Judge Strobel says that section 22009 does not explicitly prohibit a finance lender from using or possessing collateral and that the authority charged with issuing lending licenses like the department may be entitled to deference of their interpretation of the statute and we think that interpretation is the correct interpretation, Your Honor. Nothing, again, shocked Mr. Giroux other than he was just unhappy with the outcome here, and we can understand that, but he signed a written agreement with terms that allowed BlockFi to liquidate the collateral when the loan-to-value ratio was not in compliance. It's clear what happened here, that there was no amendment or modification Section 22 of the loan agreement expressly states that that was the entire agreement among the parties, and then Section 29 provides that any changes would require a writing signed by the parties, and that was not indicated in the emails. And the debtors have carried their burden, and it's Mr. Jareau's burden to establish that there was some new contract or new loan originated, and he has not done so. The claim that Mr. Giroux is asserting is of of a substantial size, which is why the debtors have been proactive in objecting to it, to eliminate the continued use of estate resources to defend against a baseless claim. We respectfully request that Your Honor sustain our objection and disallow the claims in their entirety. If I can answer any questions Your Honor has, I'm happy to do so, but we believe that Your Honor is fully capable of making this decision based off the papers and the arguments today. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you, Ms. Chavez. Mr. Giroux, last comment. Oh, you're on mute.
1: Absolutely, Your Honor. Thank you. I wanted to just quickly address uh, some of Ms. Chavez's points here. I want to say that deference requires two things. It requires compliance with the Administrative Procedure Act, and it requires something to defer to. Here, there is nothing to defer to. What uh, this is referred to in California as an underground regulation. An underground regulation is something that's done in secret, and it's actually void. It's not entitled to any deference. The, so, regarding the size of the claim, this claim simply just represents my Bitcoin. This, this is, the size of the claim is much more massive for me than it is for BlockFi. And I, I didn't ask for any damages. I'm asking for a return of the Bitcoin. I'm asking for a return of the Bitcoin at, uh, on, on the, the same treatment that any other debtor in my situation would be, would be entitled to. And lastly, regarding Jerome 3, that tentative ruling expressly states that it is not a final determination. The, the tentative ruling is expressly tentative, and although it was adopted by the court, it is not pre- uh, preclusive. I respectfully submit that this court should should do its own independent statutory construction of 22009, and Your Honor uh, will hopefully arrive at the same conclusion. Thank you, Your Honor.
0: Thank you. So just so that we're all working under the same assumption, uh, if I were to allow the claim, it, it, for roughly, it has a value roughly of twelve million, I guess, based uh, four hundred bitcoin. It, right?
1: May I make a comment, Your Honor? Yes. the The dollar value of the bitcoin on the the on the day of the petition was about six point nine million. And uh, the reason why I'm asking for an in-kind uh, dot amount is because just because I want to qualify for an in-kind distribution just like everyone else.
0: So the on the day of the petition, Bitcoin was trading at about $16,000. And so you're seeking 400 coins roughly at that amount.
1: Yes, Your Honor, and I, I will add that if your honor is inclined to specifically perform the contract for redemption, I will concede that this court may subtract the principal amount of the loan and the interest accru- uh, accrued thereon, which would be about two and a half million dollars.
0: Okay, How, uh, and let me turn to debtors counsel under the proposed plan. How are other uh, block file loan uh, obligors uh, being treated?
2: Well, first and foremost, Your Honor, just would like to emphasize that Mr. Duro instructed BlockFi to liquidate the remaining collateral and pay off his loan. So to give him any type of claim would be a double recovery because he did, he does not any longer owe a debt to BlockFi and he withdrew his remaining Bitcoin from the platform. But if he were to have an allowed claim, he'd be treated as a general unsecured creditor under BlockFi lending, which provides for a cash distribution, not an in-kind distribution.
0: Right. And I believe, according to the disclosure statement, the anticipated return is in the range of 30% or so, depending yes, upon right. future litigation. Certainly. All right. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I will, given the upcoming uh confirmation hearings in September and the voting deadlines, uh, I will issue a ruling, at worst a preliminary ruling, at some point next week on both the motion and the Uh, cross-motion. I might supplement it with a more extensive ruling. I will, as I do with all parties, urge the parties to take that time before I rule, because when I rule, there will be a winner and a loser. Uh, Take the time to see if it makes sense especially in light of the the questions I asked at the end, whether it makes sense to resolve this matter uh, without the court issuing a ruling. Uh, I'll leave that for you all to consider. Uh, I thank you all for your your argument. And uh, Mr. Juro, did you have another question?
1: Yes, Your Honor. Regarding the the, uh, informal resolution I would like to say that I've asked BlockFi to mediate the issue. They do not want to mediate. And therefore, I would ask the court to order this to a mandatory settlement conference so we could have meaningful settlement discussions.
0: Well, every dollar that I direct BlockFi to expend is coming out of everyone's pockets, all the other uh, creditors. I, I, I am leery of doing that at this juncture Uh You certainly start with phone calls on your own. You don't need a neutral. uh, 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 You're all professionals, uh, and I think you can, uh, by my questions, uh, anticipate the direction, or if not, take into account what the dollars are at stake uh, and uh, try to reach a resolution. Uh, If you need more time, you'll reach out for the court, but I'm not going to direct the mediation at this point. Uh, Thank you all. Court uh, court is adjourned. Thank
1: Thank you very much, Your Honor. Thank
0: Thank you. you.